my faith. I'm Mike Slater. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for being here. If you're new to the podcast, the, the 30 second elevator pitch, uh, we take the news of the day, talk it out, talk about what's broken in it, lament the brokenness in it, then uh, give some historical perspective and biblical peace to hopefully make that anxiety go away so we can literally go to sleep at night. Like that's the goal. There's too much anxiety. I can't sleep. So I want to be able to sleep so we can wake up, encourage, clear eyed and ready to go. Today's a little bit different because we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving and not particularly a news topic, uh, but it's important because I want to make sure we do this ahead of time because it was on November 2nd's show, so it was after Halloween, I talked about how Halloween felt different this year. It felt especially meaningless. And after some real soul searching, my conclusion was it is meaningless Halloween is a meaningless holiday. Of course it felt meaningless. It is, or at least what it's become. And I didn't realize it till after Halloween. So I wanted to present these thoughts before Thanksgiving, but here's the deal. Halloween used to be a Christian holiday. It was all hollows Eve. And you smush those words together, those words together, you get Halloween, but hollow means to make holy to consecrate, to set apart, to devote to holy or religious exercises, to treat as sacred, to revere, to honor as sacred. Right? As, uh, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All hallows Eve means the day before Eve, the day before All Saints Day which was November 1st. And that was the day that we set aside to celebrate the great Christian men and women who have come before us. So think about this. Halloween used to be the day before All Saints Day when we would celebrate the great Christian faithful and martyrs who died for their faith. And now Halloween is it's this goofy pagan emptiness and, and horror and candy. <laughs> it's like, and I don't know why I would think any different. All these Christian holidays have become secularized. And meaningless. Christmas, of course, was the birth of Jesus Christ. Now it's flying reindeer and Santa and presents. Easter was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now it's the Easter bunny and eggs. And Thanksgiving's just as bad. Thanksgiving used to be a religious holiday of fasting and prayer. Today, it's the opposite. Today, it's a day of gluttony and football. Used to be a day of fasting. Now it's a day of gluttony. How about that? So all I want to do here today is encourage you to make your Thanksgiving whatever you want. I'm not saying you can't eat food. What I'm saying is you're not beholden to our culture or what your family used to do or tradition. Some traditions are dumb. And some traditions are bad and you should stop doing them and make new ones, make new traditions that are meaningful and important. That's all. I just want to give you permission to do that, to make Thanksgiving whatever you want it to be. And you might be thinking, well, Slater, I don't know what I want it to be. It's always just been what it's always been. And that's what I want to do now from this point forward is at least tell you what it, what it used to be. Let's start out first talking about the pilgrims. We today cannot comprehend the suffering of the pilgrims. 
I don't know what you think of, what you imagine when you when you hear the word pilgrim, people with funny hats. But these were men and women who suffered as much as anyone I could fathom in history. There's a stone uh, like plaque marking the first burial ground of the first Mayflower pilgrims. And it says, Reader, history records no nobler venture for faith and freedom than that of this pilgrim band. In weariness and painfulness, in hunger and cold, they laid the foundations of a state wherein every man through countless ages should have liberty to worship God in his own way. May their example inspire you to do your part in perpetuating and spreading the lofty ideas of our republic throughout the world. And it has an exclamation point. <laughs> There's an exclamation point. Throughout the world. Exclamation. I've never seen a plaque at a memorial site with an exclamation point. So what did they do? Well, let's paint the picture. The Mayflower, 1620, 102 passengers, 30 crew. There were supposed to be two boats, but one of them kept leaking. So they just left it at the dock and uh, decided to all cram into one boat. I don't know what you imagine when you think of the Mayflower. I think of some grand ship, this huge, massive ship. It was a tiny boat, a tiny boat, 25 feet wide and 100 feet long. That's it. Below the deck, the ceiling was five feet tall five feet you had to slouch when you walked not that there was anywhere to walk the deck was 1,500 square feet so imagine a you know 1,500 square foot house with 132 people living in it each person had the the personal space of a single bed but I mean you don't have to worry that much because it was a it was a pretty short trip across the ocean it only took 10 weeks 10 weeks. So Thanksgiving is November 24th. So uh, 10 weeks before that would be September 15th. So imagine, uh, imagine like we complain when there's a delay at the airport. Okay. And like, what's the worst delay you've ever had? Like maybe, maybe a night you spent the night, maybe imagine 10 weeks in an airplane or at the airport. So, but anyway, so, so 10 weeks before November 24th would be September 15th. So you leave, you go to the airport on September 15th and you don't land until, so all the, the rest of September, then all of October and then almost all of November. And you finally get to where, you, like 10 weeks. When you ask someone today how your flight went, they're like, oh, it was awful, terrible. Oh, but and everyone says it, but you never hear, uh, well, I don't know, like 10 people died on the way. It's always, oh, my seat didn't go back. Now, the craziest thing of this story to me is that when they got there, when they got to Cape Cod, Massachusetts in November, it was so cold. The ground was frozen. They had to stay in the boat. So they're anchored off the coast. They stayed in the boat. We have no place in our brain for this. Again, like maybe like you, you, you're in an airplane and it taxis on the runway for what, 30 minutes? Your gate's not open, so you got to wait for 30 minutes. Imagine months, months, 10 weeks, you're, you're a miserable 10 weeks, you're crammed in, and then you finally get there. And it, it's disgusting. There's no bathrooms, there's animals on the boat, all these people, people are giving birth, people are dying all around you. And then you get there, you're like, oh, we made it. Oh, psych, can't get off. 
So they landed in November and they couldn't get off until March 31st. <laughs> four months, four months they're on the boat. And that's where people died. Half of the boat died. Half the passengers, half the crew. There were 18 adult women who started the trip. 14 of them died that first winter. 78% of the women died. Three of those women were in their third trimester of pregnancy. So a 10-week journey and then four months of freezing cold off the coast. What do you do? What do you do all day long in this boat? Except shiver and I don't, I don't know. You're just, you're just hopeless. And there's people dying all around you. Contemplate that. Contemplate the misery. Have you ever seen someone die? I don't want to bring up bad memories, but have you ever seen someone die? Have you ever watched them die? I have. I watched my dad die, but he in a hospital, uh, but he was you know on morphine or whatever, right? Like, have you ever watched someone die while in extreme, slow, painful misery? How about uh, you know, seventy people die around you, and ex- people dying from starvation and cold and disease. 70 people dying around you in a 1,500 square foot house floating in the ocean. And you're not feeling great yourself either. That, that is misery beyond our comprehension. And no one ever talks about it. I don't know why. So March comes around. Uh, so it's 1621. And there's 53 people left. 53 people who survived that winter. And then it's not like they showed up to anything. right? It's one thing when you have a harrowing, harrowing flight. And then you land and you take an Uber to the hotel. You could finally take a shower and sleep in the bed. They got to America and there was nothing there. They had to get to work, making a house, growing food. They had, they had no idea what the, the climate was like. They didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> it's unbelievable. William Bradford, he was the governor of the plantation. He wrote a book 10 years later. He wrote this book so that their children may see what difficulties. This is William Bradford writing in the third person. That their children may see with what difficulties their fathers wrestled in going through these things in their first beginnings and how God brought them along, notwithstanding all their weaknesses and infirmities. I got to write this story down so that people know what they did and how God brought them through. And we've forgotten this story. It's unbelievable. How is William Bradford's diary and, and, and the book he wrote 10 years later Telling the story of the pilgrims. How is that not required reading for every single American? Every single American needs to know the story deeply and profoundly. And he's like, like, oh yeah, I want to write these things down so people know the difficulties we had. The difficulties? (laughs) But why'd they do it? Why did they endure? William Bradford, he wrote in his diary. He says they, they continued on, they endured because they were the great hope. They believed they were the great hope for advancing the kingdom of Christ. And no one knows any of this. That's what I don't no, It doesn't bother me that no one it bothers me that I don't know this stuff. Thanksgiving is now just about football. So what are we to do with the reality that we've lost the sacredness of this holiday as a culture along with every other holiday as well? We lost the story. We forgot the story. It's as if it never even happened. We've forgotten the lessons of the pilgrims. We've forgotten why they came here what they overcame to come here. And we've forgotten our gratitude to God 
for bringing them through so that we could be here today. We've lost all three of those lessons, why the pilgrims came here, what they overcame to come here, and our gratitude to God for bringing them through. And we lose those lessons, and then we wonder why we're so lost today, of course. So we decided to set aside a day to remember these people, a day of fasting and prayer, and turn it into gluttony and football. And at best, we have kindergartners dress as pilgrims and sing a song. But even then, we don't even do that because it's mean to the Indians. When I learn more about our history and what you know, these holidays used to be and what our country used to be, I feel like Josiah, Josiah uh, King, and when he found the book of the law, this is Second Kings 22, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. So then the secretary goes to the king, Josiah, and says, uh, we found the law. And then uh, he read it in the presence of the king. And here's verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in the book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And I feel like that. It's like, wait, what? I've gone my whole life and I've never heard these stories. I've gone how many Thanksgivings and I've never really heard about the pilgrims. I've gone my whole life and I've never read the diary of the governor of the Plymouth plantation. Like, how can this be? So I tear my robes. We've lost the story. And that makes me sad. So let's lament that before we celebrate Thanksgiving's revival in our homes. Let's lament the demise of this holiday. Just to prove the point, uh, I just Googled Barack Obama Thanksgiving proclamation. And this is the first one that popped up. Uh, Thanksgiving 2015. By the way, they don't even call it Thanksgiving anymore. Right? People, what do, you know, what do people call it? They can't even come. It's so watered down that even Thanksgiving was too Christian. You know what they call it now? Turkey Day. Happy Turkey Day. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Barack Obama says, I do hereby proclaim November 26, 2015 as a national day of Thanksgiving. I encourage the people of the United States to join together, whether in our homes, places of worship, community centers, or any place of fellowship for friends and neighbors and give thanks for all we have received in the past year. Express appreciation to those whose lives enrich our own and share our bounty with others. Like that's, 
lame. Compare it. And maybe you're like, oh, no, Slade, that's really nice. All right, well, compare that to President John Adams, 1798. You ready for this? Brace yourselves. He says, I have therefore thought fit to recommend, and I do hereby recommend, that Wednesday, the ninth day of May next, be observed throughout the United States as a day of solemn humiliation, fasting, and prayer. That the citizens of these states, abstaining on that day from their customary worldly occupations, offer their devout addresses to the Father of mercies. That all religious congregations do with the deepest humility Acknowledge before God the manifold sins and transgressions with which we are justly chargeable as individuals and as a nation, beseeching him at the same time of his infinite grace through the Redeemer of the world, freely to remit all our offenses and to incline us by his Holy Spirit to that sincere repentance and reformation which may afford us reason to hope for his inestimable favor and heavenly benediction. I recommend that on the said day, the duties of humiliation and prayer be accompanied by fervent thanksgiving to the bestower of every good gift. Happy Turkey Day, everyone. No! Do you see the difference? Let me read one more of these. John Hancock, of course, founder of or uh, uh, signer of the Declaration. And uh, at this time, he was uh, governor of Massachusetts. By the way, our founder, we are told our founders weren't Christian. I love that. 1784, Governor of Massachusetts, John Hancock. Uh, may we join with uh, their praises, their earnest and humble supplications to Almighty God for the pardon of our past ingratitude and other transgressions, and that he may grant that all instances of the divine goodness may have an effectual influence for working a general reformation in all orders of persons among us, that so we may be that happy people whose God is the Lord, and that all nations may bow to the scepter of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that the whole earth may be filled with his glory. Oh, but our founders weren't Christians, you know. Give me a break. On this Thanksgiving, I'm uh, thinking about Psalm 144. It's 11 to 15. Rescue me. This is David. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of the foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. That is uh, what I'm going to read at the Thanksgiving table. Psalm 144, 11 to 15. And here's why there's so much good stuff in just those few sentences. So first, this is when David became king of Israel, but there were still other enemies to overcome, which is why he asks for uh, continued divine favor. But why? So that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth and daughters like beautiful pillars in the front of a palace home. So good. So our future for our kids, grandkids, our pilgrims recognized that. They knew what they were doing 
why they were doing it and who they were doing it for. They had in mind future generations. They had in mind us. And it's sad that we don't have in mind them. And this line's the key. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Can I quote uh, a very long sermon here? This is from David Oliphant. He was a pastor in Massachusetts in 1825. This was his Thanksgiving sermon from 1825. He says, mental culture, he's talking about intelligence, and a suitable preparation in other respects for the business of life may do much towards rearing up good citizens. So it's good to be smart. But moral and religious culture will do more. Find a virtuous community, a moral and religious community, and you find a people necessarily prosperous and happy. For God is their friend. He blesses them with his smiles. My hearers, we have been prospered as a nation because the Lord has been our God. We are happy because he is for us and not against us. And because the influence of that holy religion which he has revealed for the benefit of mankind has been and still is so extensively felt throughout the community. God was never more evidently the protector and friend of the nation of Israel than has been our own. We dwell in a godly land. But who gave it to us? Who inspired our Puritan fathers with the determination to quit the land of their nativity where they were born? A land then of religious intolerance and cruel despotism to seek an asylum in these western wilds where they might enjoy religious and civil freedom who protected them amidst the dangers of the ocean who planted their feet safely on these shores who gave them a land with so many natural advantages for a flourishing empire who inspired our fathers with the spirit of liberty who gave them wisdom to lay so broad and firm a foundation for the beautiful temple of liberty which they have reared who sustained and inspirited them amidst all their early discouragements? Who preserved them from the invasions of a savage foe? Who multiplied their numbers, gave success to their enterprises, and when the hand of despotism would have crushed them again, enabled them to make successful resistance to the War of 1812 and to establish their independence on an immovable basis? Was not the hand of the Lord in all of this? If he had not protected and prospered, what would have ever have been accomplished compared with what has now been accomplished through his blessing? Nothing, nothing would have been accomplished. You've probably heard the first Thanksgiving story, right? With the natives and the pilgrims and what. But what we never hear about is what happened two years later. But I would argue what happened two years later was just as important, if not more important, because that's at least the first time we have a record of William Bradford, the governor, using the word Thanksgiving. It was not 1621, it was 1623. Why? There was a terrible drought. Lasted uh, May, June, and July. No rain. Months of no rain. One of the biggest problems with the modern world is that we have an illusion of control. And weather's a great example. When it doesn't rain for a long time, it's okay. We collect the rain and we have irrigation and our crops still grow and we still have food. doesn't need to rain. Rain's better, surely. But we, we can move water. I live in San Diego. We live in a desert. We have desalinization plants. We turn the ocean water into drinkable water, right? 
So we make it work. And that makes us feel like we are in control. It makes us feel like we are God. The pilgrims were totally at the mercy of the weather, of God. And they had no illusion otherwise. They knew everything was in his hands. It's really one of the great curses of our modern era is that we think we're in control because technology has deluded us into thinking so. So terrible drought and everything was dying. All the crops were dying. The corn was all dying, even though they planted it with the fish as the Indians taught them how to do and the whole thing. So here's uh, William, William Bradford. He said, upon which they set apart, a, he's talking about they, he was there. This was 10 years later he was writing about it. Upon which they, we, set apart a solemn day of humiliation. What, what does humiliation mean? Let me take a quick pause here. It just means to make yourself humble, to be humble. Uh, here's the original Webster's Dictionary. It's a great resource, Webster's Dictionary, 1828.com. Uh, the act of abasing pride or the state of being reduced to low, lowliness of mind, meekness, penitence, and submission. Uh, humiliation and repentance, similar ideas. So uh, it's just being made humble. It's God, I don't, I, I can't make it rain. That's, that's what that is. There's nothing I can do. I can't control the weather and I can't make these, I can't make this corn grow. It's making yourself humble. So upon which we set apart a solemn day of humiliation to seek the Lord by humble and fervent prayer in this great distress. There was no rain. Toward evening, it began to overcast and shortly after to rain with such sweet and gentle showers as gave them cause of rejoicing and blessing God. It came without either wind or thunder or any violence and by degrees in that abundance as that the earth was thoroughly wet and soaked, which did so apparently revive and quicken the decayed corn and other fruits as was wonderful to see. And afterwards, the Lord sent them such a, us such a seasonable, such seasonable showers with interchange of fair, warm weather as through his blessing caused a fruitful and liberal harvest to our no small comfort and rejoicing for which mercy we also set apart a day of thanksgiving. So first it was a day of humiliation, being made humble in front of God, praying for rain so their food could grow. And then God provided, and then they set apart a day of thanksgiving. They prayed for rain, something they couldn't control themselves, and God provided. The pilgrims were completely at God's mercy. Look what they just went through with the journey over and everything. I, I, I wish I had that same understanding and therefore posture that the pilgrims had. Instead, I, I think I deserve what I have. I think I'm in control of things around me and all that. Well, I wish I had that level of humiliation. So what do we do? It's your family. It's your holiday. It's always worth reassessing your traditions. Now, I'm not saying you need to supplicate yourself on the floor all day and as a family fast for 24 hours, although not the worst idea. It's whatever you want. That's my point. It's whatever you want. Don't worry about your traditions or what you grew up doing or you've always done. Make it your own. Traditions are good. I love traditions, but not if they're dumb, not if they're bad, not if they're not 
meaningful, make them better. Do better. Make your own new tradition. Start a new tradition for generations to follow. Make it a religious holiday once again. Make Thanksgiving a religious holiday. And let's not forget the suffering of the pilgrims. Tell that story. Tell the story of the ship, how tiny it was, how many people died. Let's not forget the sufferings of the pilgrims and then why they did it, why they endured. As Bradford said, a great hope for advancing the kingdom of Christ. That's why they did it. That's the short quote. Can I read the full one from his book? He said, last and not least, they, we, let me change the pronouns to first person plural. Uh, he wrote it in third person for some reason. Last and not least, we cherished a great hope and inward zeal of laying good foundations for the propagation and advance of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in the remote parts of the world. Even though they, we, should be but stepping stones to others in the performance of so great a work. These pilgrims knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what we're doing. And we are the fruit of that. Isn't that amazing? Thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by his hand that made all things of nothing and gives being to all things that are. And as one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone unto many. Yea, in some sort to our whole nation, let the glorious name of Jehovah have all the praise. Beautiful. I love these pilgrims. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll leave you with a final thought to meditate about and think about tonight. This is a prayer from George Webb. George Webb was a preacher in 1625, right around the time of the pilgrims. He says, O Lord, our God and heavenly Father, which of thy unspeakable mercy towards us hast provided meat and drink for the nourishment of our weak bodies. By the way, you should Google this prayer and uh, read it over Thanksgiving. Grant us peace to use them reverently, our bodies, as from thy hands with thankful hearts. Let thy blessings rest upon these, thy good creatures, to our comfort and sustenance, and grant we humbly beseech thee, good Lord, that as we do hunger and thirst for this food of our bodies, so our souls may earnestly long after the food of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's make Thanksgiving a Christian holiday again. Hope you have a wonderful week and a wonderful Thanksgiving. Politics by Faith. Thanks, Sarah.